Our sermon text is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And I'll pray before we read that text. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we now seek to study your word, I pray, Father, that we would be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are understanding and obedient. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we're looking still basically at the birth of baby Jesus. It's probably a good time to, we're approaching Christmas, but once again, I didn't really plan it that way. It's just the way it's worked out as we've worked our way through the Gospel of Luke. We looked last week at his actual birth. He was um, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger, laid in a feed trough. Very little... um, it's, It's a very... I'll use the word bare description of that which happened in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. There's actually nothing supernatural about that which is described. It's certainly providential. Caesar Augustus gave a, gave a decree which made certain that Joseph and Mary were in the town of David or the city of David, Bethlehem, at the time that the Saviour was to be born. And this was according to that which was prophesied previously in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Micah. But in terms of the trip to Bethlehem and the birth of the baby, there's, as I said, there's nothing that you would call spectacular. There's nothing that you would call in any way amazingly supernatural. The conception of the baby Jesus was miraculous and supernatural. The person of the baby Jesus himself was also, in a way, beyond our comprehension, miraculous and supernatural. He is both fully God and fully human. I mean, imagine that in a baby, a baby which in its humanity does not speak, does not read, makes the usual baby noises, has the usual baby needs and would have died apart from the care of responsible people caring for the baby. That baby is 
fully God and fully man, fully human. But the human is at that point in time genuinely, truly a helpless infant. There was nothing, as I said, spectacularly supernatural about the whole scene. Well, now, in um, the next section of Scripture or the next portion that we're looking for, that which is looking at, I should say, that which is supernatural sort of bursts forth. I mean, it, it's spectacular. Here's where we find out that we could even at this moment, unbeknownst to us, be surrounded by an army of angels and we'd have no idea. We would have absolutely no idea. But once again, it's just we have these, these sort of contrasts. To whom do the angels appear? Do they appear to the priests or to the Pharisees or to anyone that you would have considered to be a religious authority in that day? And the answer is no, not to any of those people. The angels appear to shepherds watching over flocks by night. Now, it is basically um, known that for flocks to have been in that region by night, those flocks were sacrificial flocks. They were, they were lambs brought together to be herded into Jerusalem for the various sacrificial ceremonies. The shepherds watching over those flocks were not the landowners, the landholders. They were people who were earning a wage. They were paid to be there to make sure that the supply of lambs into the sacrificial system continues as is required. And they were considered by the religious authorities of the day, the Pharisees and the priesthood, to be amongst the lowest of all, of all people. They weren't respected. They weren't loved. There's a certain, um, I, I've run across it a few times in my life, there's a certain contempt that many city people can have for farmers. I mean, the food that they eat, comes to them because somewhere some farmer was ploughing fields, sowing seed, raising cattle, raising sheep, raising pigs, whatever it might have been, etc., etc. But there are many city folk who would consider those farmers to be idiots living in places that are unworthy of human habitation. You sort of know the attitude. Every town outside of Sydney, for example, is basically just seen as... Uh, well, let's just use the phrase a toilet. You know, every, every town is seen as somewhere barely worthy of human habitation and anyone who doesn't come to the city and want to be in the city is basically just a back, backwards idiot. Well, not exactly the same thing, but a similar sort of thing is going on here with regards shepherds. The strictly religious felt that shepherds must be a lower type of humanity because the very, the very employment that they have stops them from being continuously ceremonial, ceremonially clean. They have to deal with dead animals. They have to deal with afterbirth. They have to get their hand in the mud and the muck. And, you know, if, if you've... I know you guys haven't been farmers who've raised animals. I have. It's not a clean job. Okay? There's a reason why many farmhouses in Australia... Before you even walk in the back door of the house, on the side, 
there's actually a shower. You take your clothes to the back door of the house, you step into the shower and you clean yourself before you walk into the house. There's a reason. The job that you're doing is mucky. Okay, you, you just, you can't raise these animals without ending up smelling like them and everything that has to do with them. And these guys, they didn't have modern plumbing so that at least by the time you walked into the house, you were spruced up clean and smelling like a nice bar of soap. They were seen as um, ceremonially unclean nearly most always, and um, they were seen as untrustworthy people. You know, it was felt that um, they were probably pinching lambs and eating them. That's how they were getting their food. And so they were kind of hated. And it's to these people that God sends, first of all, an angel at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Once again, an angel appears, and what's the first problem? We've seen it already in the Gospel of Luke. The first problem when an angel appears is fear. You know, for people like you and I to come into the presence of a spiritual being who is actually sinless, who has not sinned, who is holy, who has come to us directly from the presence of God, this brings about fear. Fear not, said the angel, for behold, I bring you good news. Literally, it says, do not be fearing, for I am preaching to you the gospel. It's in the present tense. Do not be fearing, for I am preaching to you good news. Do not be, do not be afraid. There's good news, great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Interesting, a Saviour who is Christ. There's a whole lot of sort of threads that you find in the Old Testament. There's the seed of the woman. There's the seed of Abraham. There's the seed of David. There's, there is the prediction of a coming Messiah. All of these things, there is, there is um, the prediction of a coming salvation, a salvation that will fulfil all of God's promises. And this reference by the angel of Christ being the Lord most probably draws together two particular psalms. <clears throat> Pardon me. I know that we've looked at these psalms many a time, but it's, it's worth remembering. Just turn quickly to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, reading from verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So it's a psalm of the Messiah. Looking back at verse 2 of Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That word could have been simply transliterated against his Messiah, against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And everything the psalm says, it's speaking of the Messiah and the Messiah is also known as the Son of God. And it's the Son of God whom the rulers of the earth are required to fear, serving him with trembling. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Turn now to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, if you don't know, is the most commonly cited psalm in the New Testament, and it's always cited as a psalm which speaks directly of the Messiah, of Jesus, of the Son of God. Verse 1 reads, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, we need to stop and just give that brief explanation of verse 1. The Lord, capitalised, L-O-R-D, Yahweh. The covenant God of Israel, the God who has given all the promises. Yahweh says to my Lord. This is David writing. And and we're supposed to stop here and ask the question, hang on. I thought Yahweh is David's Lord. And the answer is, yes, Yahweh is David's Lord. The Lord says to my Lord. David is telling us that. There are two persons whom he is calling Lord. You might never have gotten to the Trinity in the Old Testament. It, it, it takes a little more digging and it's not so clear that the Holy Spirit is himself God. But you could have gotten to the fact that there is more than one person being called God in the Old Testament. Yahweh says to my Lord. God says to my God would be another way to say it. Two persons, speaking, communing, planning. The Lord Jesus himself quotes this psalm and says it speaks of himself. And he says, and I'm the son of David. How is it that I am both the son of David and greater than David? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So in Luke chapter 2 at verse 11, Luke tells us that the angels preach to the shepherds that there is a saviour, that the saviour is Messiah, the anointed one, and that Messiah, the anointed one, is the Lord. Saviour, Messiah, Lord. And so all these threads of prophecy in the Old Testament are basically joined together and become one thing fulfilled in one person. And that person is the baby born in Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus. He is Saviour, Messiah, Lord. 
At verse 12, they give the shepherds a sign. And you think, doesn't seem to be much of a sign. They're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Well, I'll bet you there were no other babies newborn wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a feed trough somewhere in Bethlehem that night. How will you know this is true? When you get to Bethlehem, you'll find the baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, a multitude, thousands of thousands, a multitude, many, more than the shepherds ever realised, more than we ever realised. Turn to um, 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll start reading at verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So stop and let's just get the picture. Early in the morning, sunrise, the servant who would be the one who prepares the food and would have prepared breakfast for Elisha, steps out, probably to do the thing that he would do very first thing in the morning, a dark, quiet corner to do the thing that he would do. And as the sun rises, as the light sort of spreads across below them, he sees an army encamped of men, enemies, the enemies of Israel. We're trapped. We're surrounded. Thousands are around about us. Verse 16, he, this is Elisha, he said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We'll stop there. We sort of don't really need to read any more from that passage. The armies of God were there. Chariots of fire were there. Horses of fire, pulling chariots of fire. They were surrounded by angels. They were surrounded by the heavenly host and unaware of it until Elisha prays, or the servant was unaware of this until Elisha prays, let his eyes be opened. Going back into the Gospel of Luke, this passage is a passage where the angels suddenly, suddenly appear in a multitude. They can be seen 
They can be unseen. They can choose to make themselves known. Singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. Peace peace among those upon whom God's favour rests. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's greatest self-revelation. John chapter 1 Verse 18, we're told that it's the Son of God, whether we read it in the ESV, the one, the, the only God who is, in, who is in the Father's side, whether we read it in the New King James, the only begotten Son of God, he makes the Father known. This is God's greatest self-revelation, this baby. And the angels must worship. They must. They're in the very presence of their God. They're in the presence of the one who made them. The one who made them has taken upon himself the flesh of humanity and is a baby. Glory to God in the, in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace to those to whom God is willing to bestow peace. The worship of angels. Reading on, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The word there said, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, it's... um, Joel likes to speak of gossiping the gospel. It's, it's, it's that word. To prattle, to constantly talk, to constantly speak about something, to just keep talking about something. They're awake now. They may have been half asleep beforehand, but they're not half asleep now. Something has happened. They're awake. God has, God has spoken to them through an army of angels. They've heard the song of angels. Imagine that. Would you ever forget it? You know, there's music that we never forget. There's, we'd, we'd all have our favourite music, our favourite hymns. If we listen to classical music, there would be our favourite pieces of music. There are, there are things that we feel are inspiring, that we feel are heavenly. These shepherds literally heard a choir of angels singing. A multitude. Thousands and thousands. But, not, but it's not the singing that they're wrapped up in. It's the, it's the news. It's what the angels told them. I'm sure the singing was beautiful, the music was amazing, but it's the content, it's the communication. They speak to one another. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they're blessed. God has made something known to them. What would we know of God if God did not make it known? We might know that there must be a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. But if God did not make these things known, we would not know them. Verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They shared all that they know. And I wonder how that hit Joseph and Mary. Mary knows that the baby is born of a miraculous conception. That God himself, by the power of his Holy Spirit, overshadowed her, is the, is the phrase that the scripture uses. And she was made pregnant. Behold, the virgin conceived. Mary knows that this is a miraculous birth, a miraculous baby. And now shepherds come to them. Of all people, shepherds come to them to tell them, we just met with an army of angels and they told us that this baby is the Saviour, Messiah, the Lord. I'm pretty sure they would have been surprised. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they weren't telling just Mary and Joseph. They were telling many people. All who heard it, they couldn't shut up now. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What a journey Mary must have been on. There are things she knew. There are things she understood. And yet there are things that she could only learn in the passage of time. You know, she was being, as it were, led along the path by God himself. She knows that this child is the son of God. And now she knows that at the birth of this child, there was an army of angels present, that there was an army of angels singing of him. And she knows that the angels themselves have called this child the saviour, messiah, the Lord. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Just stop for a moment. How did Luke know that? Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. You know, how do you know these things? Well, didn't Luke say at the very start of his Gospel that he carefully put together an orderly account Back in Luke chapter 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke was speaking to eyewitnesses. Luke was probably speaking to Mary herself. How does he know that Mary was storing these things up in her heart and pondering them? Mary herself has told them, has told him that. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There's always with regards to the coming of the Lord Jesus, this amazing contrast. Absolutely amazing things are happening. God, the Son of God, has taken upon himself flesh and come into the world as a baby, a lowly-born baby, but a baby, an infant, a completely reliant upon human care baby. 
This has been proclaimed by an army of angels, a multitude of angels singing the praises of God and proclaiming that this baby is Saviour, Messiah, Lord. But who did they proclaim it to? Shepherds. And not even landholding shepherds. Not, you know, not the kind of shepherd that might own land, might be a man about town, at least in his own town, a breeder, as it were, of purebred sheep or some such thing. These were shepherds who were wage earners watching over flocks that were not their own. These flocks themselves were on their way to the temple for sacrifice. And these shepherds are the ones to whom God reveals salvation. And once again, we're reminded that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks of not many of the wise, not many of the great. Common people, normal people, ordinary people, they're the people to whom God has brought his salvation. And God is planning to save thousands upon thousands, and the early church was very much a Jewish church, and God is planning to save thousands upon thousands of the people of Judea. Yet even so, those who were the great and mighty ones amongst the nation of the Jews, very few of them were saved. Very few of them ever received the Saviour. Very few of them ever had anything revealed to them. Jerusalem itself had already been marked down for destruction, judgment upon the people for their unfaithfulness. Yet in judgment, God remembers mercy. And it's at this time, it's at this time, that the Son of God is born, the Saviour, the Messiah, Lord. Just, you know, our, it's a common theme. We feel like we're nobody and nothing. And we are, in a manner of speaking. We are, in a manner of speaking. Not one of us here is so special or so important that God's church could not run without us. Not one of us here is so wonderful that when people see us, they just, they just, you know, oh, wow, there he or she goes. Aren't I lucky to live in the same place? You know, none of us here is anything like that. Yet, we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. God set his love upon us from eternity past. God, God, revealed his salvation in history for people like you and I. On one scale of things, we're nothing and nobody. On another scale of things, we're the blood-bought beloved children of God, heirs of eternity, heirs of God himself. Just like the shepherds, just like Joseph the carpenter. God doesn't do things the way we do things. God doesn't think the way we think. God says in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. God reveals things to the most unlikely of people. God leads the most unlikely of people to salvation. My friends, we're the servants of God. We may well even at this time be surrounded by an army of angels. We would know nothing of it unless God, for whatever reason, chose to have that revealed to us. Great and wonderful things have happened on our behalf in history. 
and the birth of our Saviour, Messiah, Lord, is one of those things. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you that the Lord Jesus came, that he took upon himself flesh, that he did not think that holding the form of God was something to be held on to, but that he came in his humiliation, that he became one who was both truly God and truly man, that he lived a life that was pleasing in your sight, that he died a death that was pleasing in your sight, and that on the third day he was raised again. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy toward us. And we pray, Father, that we would be helped by you through the power of your Holy Spirit to never neglect so great a salvation. Help us, Father, to be faithful and obedient, to love you and to serve you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.